Hello and welcome to Banking Transform, the top podcast in retail banking. I'm your host, Jim Roos, owner and CEO of the Digital Banking Report and co-publisher of the Financial Brand. The future of banking is being driven by advancements in technology, changing customer preferences, new collaborations, and increasing regulatory requirements. Change is happening every day, and it is more difficult than ever to keep pace. As the industry gets ready for Money 2020 in Amsterdam, it is important to look to where the industry is today and where it might be tomorrow. And even more so, it's important to look at the opportunities, threats, and challenges we have ahead of us as we embrace the change that's taking place. I'm excited to have Shankar Ramamurthy, Global Managing Partner for Banking and Financial Markets at IBM on the show today. We're discussing the massive changes occurring in the financial services industry and what can be expected as we go forward. While financial services institutions cannot control disruption, they can set themselves up to respond rather than react. The key is to lay out a vision for a strategic business response, looking at growth and performance opportunities, cost and efficiency benefits, and risk and compliance requirements. There is actually no better time to evaluate where we are today and where we will likely be as an industry tomorrow than as much of the industry prepares get to go to Amsterdam for Money 2020 Europe. So, Shankar, before we get started, can you share a bit about yourself and your role at IBM Consulting, as well as how IBM works with financial institutions to be better positioned for to have a future-ready positioning? Sure, sure, Jim. And it's a pleasure uh, talking with you um, today. Um, IBM, um, as you know, is about a $70 billion um, revenue organization worldwide. And under Arvind's um, leadership, um, we've really organized ourselves around two broad dimensions. One, which is IBM technology, and the other being IBM consulting. So IBM technology, read everything we do in infrastructure, you know, hardware, the hybrid cloud and such, um, and then everything we do in software, IBM software portfolio. That's about $50 billion of our, of our uh, uh, revenues annually. And, and the balance, about $20 billion, give or take, uh, is IBM consulting, where we leverage technology, whether it be IBM's technology or any other technology that our clients need and want, uh, including a range of industry ISVs and, and, and hyperscalers and a bunch of other technology to solve problems for our clients. Now, financial services happens to be the largest industry for IBM. It's about 25% of what we do in IBM. And for all sorts of historical reasons, that's been one of our most important industries for IBM. And so on the consulting side, um, I lead, I'm the global managing partner for banking and financial markets, which is about a $5 billion consulting practice uh, wow. with you know tens of thousands of practitioners around the world working with banks and financial institutions on a day-to-day basis, solving some of their most complex problems. And when I say complex problems, if you think about it, well over 90% of core banking processes and payment transactions are touched by IBM around the world. And pretty much all the largest financial institutions in the globe, in every part of the globe, are users of IBM in some capacity. You know, infrastructure, software, consulting. 
You know, it's interesting. We were talking about it before we started the podcast that really it's amazing. You look back through the years, and I've been in banking a long time, but IBM's always been part of that solution, both from a technology standpoint and certainly from a consulting standpoint, whether it be in a formal state or informal as part of the technology side. And as we discuss also, you know, IBM, both parts of IBM, the technology side and the consulting side, are both going to be at um, Money 2020 Europe. So as banks and fintechs and large tech firms and solution providers descend upon Amsterdam, what hot topics are you expecting to be top of mind in the industry right now? Hey, Jim, this is um, a pivotal moment for the industry. Uh, and I say that having worked for the last 30 years in the intersection of uh, technology, strategy, financial services, and for my sins, pretty much in all the six continents over the last 30 years. Um, we always say, you know, this is a pivotal moment, but I, I, can, I can assure you, this yeah. is genuinely a pivotal moment. And you started this dialogue, this discussion, uh, by talking about uh, in my mind, the three things that our clients are dealing with, right, as as they as they go to money twenty twenty, or as they look at look at the future, how do I achieve growth and differentiation? How do I manage my cost? My cost income ratios have continued to be stubbornly sticky uh, in an era where growth is a challenge, given all the macroeconomic uh, topics that we can kind of talk about. I got to do these two things while simultaneously managing my risk and regulatory posture and exposure, right? So it's a trifecta, and there are pressures in each of those three dimensions today, which is rarely the case, coupled with this extraordinary explosion of exponential technology, which is both an opportunity and a profound threat. A threat in that it enables not just traditional competitors, which financial institutions know how to deal with, but non-traditional competitors, right? The, right. The, the, the fintechs, which again, financial institutions have done a good job over the last 10, 15 years of co-opting the fintechs. Now the, the, the ones that are emerging are what I call the tech fins, the large technology providers that are backing into financial services and capabilities like embedded finance, which are actually changing the landscape, going after some of the most profitable aspects of the financial services landscape. So you've got challenges on growth front, you've got challenges on the cost front, you've got challenges on the risk and regulatory compliance front, plus non-traditional competitors operating at a scale and size that we've never seen before. And and change has not been linear here. You know, we, we talk about this, but compared to what it was like in the past, you could predict what the future was going to bring. But now you talk about that trifecta, the importance of every one of these keeps on shifting as as the winds change almost. And at any moment, let's say November 30th with ChatGPT or 30 days ago or 40 days ago with Silicon Valley Bank, the whole equation gets shifted again. And so we have to be thinking, planning ahead or a strategic planning process really has to have a lot built in with regard to flexibility and being agile. And and obviously, on top of all of this, the elephant in the room right now is the economic uncertainty in the marketplace, both from an interest rate perspective, as well as regard to perceived stability, the banking industry overall. 
How do rates and the recent banking failures change the trajectory of banking and the change that you were talking about as it relates to both the technology and the consulting side of IBM as it works with financial institutions? So um, we tend to, in IBM, we tend to think outside. Eh? So let me, let me first talk to what it means for our clients, and then I'll talk to therefore, what are we doing uh, as IBM Consulting and IBM Technology to help our clients kind of master this change. And I should preface, preface this by saying our clients tend to be the larger financial institutions in the main when I talk about yeah. consulting. Uh, I wouldn't say the same about IBM technology, though there is a there's a decent correlation. Right? IBM technology uh, supports a lot of the smaller financial institutions as well. On the consulting side, we tend to, in the main, work with the with the large established um, financial institutions, pretty much in every part of the world. So, if you look at what I mean, they're grappling with. To your point, not only do they have this trifecta. They've got this exponential technology that's changing the competitive landscape, right? When it changes the competitive landscape, you got to, and this is this is back to the innovator's dilemma, um, you've got both sustaining innovation and you've got disruptive innovation, and you got to do both. And, and interestingly, when I started in consulting, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, you can see my gray hair, I've been in the in this industry for about 30 years. I pretty much started uh, in financial services consulting when I started my uh, my career, my consulting career. Um, enterprises would develop a business strategy, which would be generally stable over a three or five year duration. And then technology would then be brought in to help achieve the business strategy. We've got into a world today where um, in industries that are digital or can be disrupted by digitization, business and technology are almost becoming co-equal because clearly you need business strategy to figure out how to leverage technology and exponential technology. But we're also at that point in technology evolution where technology capability is fundamentally driving business models and hence business strategy, both in terms of what incumbents are doing, but equally what the disruptors, the disruptive innovators are able to bring to the party that changes the status quo in totally unexpected ways, right? So we are, and you talked about chat GPT, generative, what we think of as large language models of generative AI. Um, only time will tell, but we are at that early um, um, part of the curve where it's not just exponential, um, growth in technology, it could well be quadratic exponential growth in technology capability with a bunch of implica implications, you know, that come from that. And if you think about what that means, and again, in, in the time that I've been consulting to financial services enterprises, the last three decades, we started from what used to be called data processing. We then right. said, hey, it's, it's, it's about converting data into information. It became information technology. Then we said, it's not just about information. You want to provide insight. So it's moving from management information systems to actually providing insights, and not just providing ins insights, but providing insights that enable you to real-time change what happens in a business. Now we've gotten to the stage, and by the way, every one of these have had a deflationary impact on a lot of things that we've done. 
Now you've gotten to the stage where insight is becoming intelligence. And in fact, we are at the early bend in the curve where intelligence itself is available as a technology deflationary capability. And we are all wrapping our heads around what that means, right? And we are doing a whole bunch of interesting work with our clients. And of course, IBM Research is investing materially and substantially in it. We are doing this recording uh, just before uh, the IBM Think event at which you're going to see a lot of, lot of really important announcements being made as we work with our clients to enable them to master this next bend in the knee, which is about intelligence itself being available much more easily and, and really available as a deflationary capability that you can use to augment everything we are doing in financial services. So, so it's interesting, Shankar. You know, we talk about all this that can be done, but in the in the technology side, it's one thing. But in the consulting side, you're really trying to change the way organizations think about what they do. Change is not easy. It's not even though we sometimes say we want to change. When it comes to actually doing it, it gets difficult. When you're working with financial institutions. What are some of the challenges you find in trying to implement what you believe needs to be done? What stands in the way of financial institutions actually embracing the ideas you bring to the table? Hey, um, it's, um, that's a great question. So I, I, I'm going to answer it in two parts because I realized I didn't answer your earlier question as completely as I could have. So on the one hand, let me talk to the kind of things we're doing around the trifecta uh, for our clients. And then on the other hand, we should talk about, and, and why is it taking uh, our clients a lot of time to change, right? Because complexity uh, um, is, is, is a huge issue uh, in the financial services industry. And we'll come to talk about why that's the case and what, what can be done to, to help address that. It can take us in all sorts of interesting uh, um, um, you know, tangents. So I talked about the trifecta, so around growth, right? Um, Financial institutions, the large ones, um, in, in, you know, in our opinion, have an advantage. In fact, in some instances, you could say almost an unfair advantage because they got an extraordinary amount of this, this whole thing about going from data to information to insight to intelligence. They've got an extraordinary amount of data that they can convert into right. insights and intelligence to provide superior capabilities um, um, to their customers, financial institutions, customers. What we've been doing, and I'll give you a good example, a uh, bank called State Bank of India uh, in India. It's the largest bank uh, in India, one of the largest banks in the world in terms of the number of customers uh, that it supports. Um, you know, We've been working with them for the last five years on a program called Yono, You Only Need One, um, uh, which is about providing uh, a mobile capability uh, that enables its customers to interact uh, not just with the products that State Bank of India offers, but become a destination site through which State Bank of India customers can access pretty much all the capabilities in the web. So if you're booking a hotel, if you're, if you're doing travel reservation, if you're, if you're buying uh, something you know, in an e-commerce context on the web, um, what State Bank of India have done is they've, they've been able to negotiate on behalf of their customers with these parties on the web, 
that en that enables State Bank of India to pro customers to have a superior offer in terms of feature, function, price point, compared with if they directly approached, uh, you know, an airline or a hotel or an e-commerce website and such. Right? That's a win-win-win, and it's a massive amount of growth for State Bank of India because it's deepened and strengthened the relationship with its customers, and it's not waiting for a financial transaction to happen before it inserts itself yep. into the value yep. chain, right? So yep. Th- yep. We, we think about it as beyond banking ecosystem because people don't wake up in the morning saying, I want to use my credit card. They wake up in the morning saying, I want to get me a cup of coffee, right? And then the credit card comes out. If you've embedded yourself in the intent of the customer by changing and extending your value chain, then you're naturally embedded into it as that transaction happens. Think the same thing in the case of mortgage. People don't wake up in the mortgage say, uh, in the morning saying, I want a mortgage. They wake up saying, I want to buy myself an apartment or a house. So the yep. first thing they're going to go is go look at listings, talk to some real estate brokers. What if the bank's website becomes a destination for that? So State Bank of India in the public domain, this program has added over $40 billion to their valuation. All right. Complex programs requires a lot of change uh, because these are large complex organizations, but that's one example, right? I could I could go on, you know, I can give you examples in DBS in Singapore where we've been doing work in helping them, you know, um, not just digitize their capabilities and process, but Piyush Gupta, the CEO would say, you know, we design for no operations. In other words, the mindset is, it's not, I'm gonna take, an existing process and see how much more I can digitize and automate. I want to rethink what's possible. And I start with the premise that I'm designing for no operations, recognizing that my employees and agents will insert themselves to add value where things cannot be digitized, where human intervention is required. That's a fundamental flipping of the paradigm. Right. Drives, right. Uh, and, and on the third, just to finish the trifecta, we're working with a large European uh, bank. I mean, when it comes to risk and compliance and fraud, clients don't much care to have their names revealed, but we're doing a lot of interesting work in that space as the world moves more and more towards real time. There are a lot of things to worry about from a security, from a fraud, from a privacy, from a regulatory exposure standpoint. And that's an area in which IBM shines because that's what we've been doing for our clients, you know, being genuinely protective from a security and infrastructure and reliability and resiliency um, and bringing all the capabilities required to address their their fraud um, issues and their compliance issues as you move more and more to an instant payment and a real-time world, right? They're all the things we're doing for our clients, and these are genuine programs um, that, we're, that we're working around the world with our clients on. You ask the question, the second part of what gets question, in the way, yes, what, what gets, gets in the, in the way, way. <laughs> right? And 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 what gets in the way is complexity, right? If you're a large enterprise, and by the way, this is not just financial services, but financial services is the most digital of all industries because everything we're dealing with in financial services is inherently digital. It's not like you're selling an automobile or or you're shipping a finished product or anything. It's pretty much everything is digital. Um, and and the amount of automation uh, that this industry has, and the amount of spend they've had, and the amount 
in technology, the amount of software code that they have dwarfs that of any other industry by a very, very large magnitude, right? But what the unintended consequence of that is you've got layer upon layer upon layer of technology that's been built up incrementally over time, requiring an extraordinary amount of effort to untangle that complexity. And, and so many of our large clients are dealing with what I'd call the opposite of the network effect. So if we talk about network effect as, as you know, driving value, driving revenue, and so on in certain contexts, when you've got this complexity of multiple lines of business, multiple products, multiple channels, multiple customer segments, in multiple geographies, with multiple regulators, you know, um, you know, multiple risk issues to deal with, and you've got to connect all these things together across the enterprise, every time you make a change, you can, you can just envision the truly N-squared exponential growth and complexity when it comes to change and all the testing and, um, and, 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 and the rigor you need to bring to it. That does inherently slow things down, which is why, I'm sure it's a topic we will talk about, which is why we have been working with the industry to actually minimize that complexity. How can we standardize? How can we right. componentize? How can we simplify? <clears throat> How can we enable the industry to collaborate around well-understood boundaries? And that's where Bion, the Banking Industry Architecture Network, the .org organization uh, that we are actively working with, um, is trying to ensure we bring a certain amount of um, not um, regulatory standards, but de facto standards to the way the, the, uh, the banks collaborate between themselves. But importantly, as they collaborate with independent software vendors and systems integrators and other third parties to reduce the complexity for the entire industry. We can bounce into that. So much of, you know, in, in that context, so much of what we do as an industry is, is duplicative. You know, we 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 all do eighty percent of the exact same thing to get to point A. It's that extra twenty percent that makes the difference. I know that IBM's worked very hard in cloud work and things of this nature, where they've standardized so many components of that, so you don't have to rethink it every time. Where you it obviously serves IBM well, but it serves your clients well in that you're saying, you know, this much. We don't have to refocus on. We we've got that solved. It's taken care of. It's that additional innovation that that really makes it work, and that that's key to to speed and scale because you aren't going to get there if, with complexity unless you standardize some of the elements. So, you know, when you're looking at innovations, if you look at what's coming down the road, and look at what we'll be talking about in in Amsterdam in a short while. What do you see as being some of the breakthrough innovations that you expect to see in the next few years? It's a, it's a great question. By the way, again, I'd, I'd kind of, um, to my earlier discussion about, and points in the discussion about kind of business and technology becoming increasingly co-equal, um, um, where, or at least ambidextrous, where one is kind of driving the other. Um, yep. Let's talk about it in both those dimensions as you, as you look at um, uh, innovation. Um, on the business side, in terms of um, what banks are doing uh, for their customers, whether it be on the consumer side, uh, the corporate side, you know, or the regulatory side, I mean, there's an extraordinary amount of innovation happening uh, in in the payment space, right? So everything yeah. from um, you know from 
you know, contactless payments to buy now pay, I mean, products like buy now pay later to, you know, to ISO 2022 to, um, you know, to a range of things on the, on the consumer side um, and, and equally on the corporate side. So cash management, liquidity management, treasury management, cross-border, um, moving towards, you know, managing the multiple rails, the disparate rails, bringing them together in a world of instant, you know, instant payments, addressing fraud, addressing real time. I mean, there's a range of opportunity there. Uh, embedded finance, I could go on and on and on. There's, there's, a, there's a ton of things that our clients are doing um, and they got to do um, many of them, uh, again, because of this, of this trifecta, right? They got to do things in payments to achieve growth, to take costs out, and to, to address the regulatory you know, exposure you know, and the potential fraud issues and the, and the, uh, and the risk issues. Uh, and by the way, looking at the background of things like central bank digital currencies um, right. you know, that, are, that, that are in the background, right? So that's an extraordinarily rich set of things to go and tackle. Um, so on the one hand, you need to go and tackle that. On the other hand, when I look at exponential technologies, in, in IBM, in IBM, we think in terms of three broad exponential technologies that are game changers for, for financial services uh, enterprises. One is, of course, what we call the hybrid cloud, which brings together multiple disparate um, clouds, private, you know, and private data centers yep. and their own data centers for all sorts of regulatory reasons um, and practical, pragmatic uh, market reasons. Our clients will have a combination of those. Um, they, they're going to have, you know, multiple um, uh, service providers and um, ISVs and providing capability that's running on their cloud, whether it be an SAP or a Salesforce or a Adobe or a Microsoft and you know, on and on. Um, they're going to want to leverage the hyperscalers uh, and, and clearly IBM's um, capabilities. They're going to have their own private data center, their own public, um, their, their own uh, data centers, private cloud. You bring it all together, um, you know, putting the workload most optimally where it needs to be. And that's a big area of focus. And of course, that's an area where we made the bet with, uh, with Red Hat uh, when we right. put $30 billion plus to work on that space. And we're doing a ton of consulting work around that, uh, as you can expect, because every one of our clients is grappling with this hybrid cloud world. So, and that's, uh, I don't want to say it's early in its innings, but it's not halfway through yet. There's a ton, I mean, there's a massive amount of what we think of as deep cloud work to be done. It's not just about taking the taking a piece of technology and moving it into the cloud. It's really truly refactoring it. When you refactor it um, and bring the workflows together in a way that maximizes the value of that, you know, of that refactored code, um, you you can unlock amazing things. So that's one. Hybrid cloud is one as an exponential technology. If I look of just a few years into the future, three years, five years, uh, quantum, entirely new compute paradigm that's yeah. going to be having a breathtaking, um, lead, um, uh, impactful, um, um, it's going to be impactful on every industry, including financial services, because the kind of compute um, capabilities that it brings and the range of uh, new things that you can compute that you can't do using traditional yeah. compute capability um, is very compelling, and, and IBM is making uh, a huge bet uh, on quantum. Uh, and interestingly, quantum cryptography is a subset of that, uh, and quantum safe, you got to ensure uh, your 
your uh, encrypted data is safe before quantum computing becomes a reality because it, you can easily conceive from a security standpoint of bad actors stealing your data that's valuable over an extended period of time um, and there's a lot of PII personally important information that has got longitudinal value and they can sit on it for two or three or four years wait for quantum cryptography uh, quantum computing and decrypt the data right so that's a genuine problem so you know we're doing all sorts of things around quantum safe to proactively preemptively ensure your data is safe from quantum computing and that actually precedes the availability of quantum computing but that's all let's say just a bit in the future and today the one that's exercising all our minds is the combination of you know ai the broadest range ai and, and analytics but including large language models um, and, and and chat gpt and all all its variants uh, that are really um, language models and large large language foundation models which by the way uh, the amount of work that we're doing with our clients in this space is is really very very rich because every one of our clients is is either doing something or thinking about doing something talking to us about it i'm just looking at my notes uh, because this is oh, yeah. moving at <laughs> this is moving at absolute absolute warp speed right um and it's it's a topic that will be top of mind is top of mind in almost every client discussion that i'm having today well and 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 it's interesting because unlike anything that i've experienced in the past and and i'm not a technology whiz at all but when you look at the difference between what was introduced in november and what came out in march and the changes that were that quick that big that exponential what you're talking to clients today about may sound very rudimentary in November of this year, you know, just three or four months from now. And it, and it really boggles the mind because it's one of the few technology advancements or, or innovative advancements that has hit both businesses and consumers dead center. I mean, it, you know, there's, there's very few people on the street that doesn't know something about what can happen here and has an opinion toward it. I mean, it's amazing how the consumerization of chat GPT and, and conversational AI has, has taken over the marketplace as far as what's possible. Now, a lot to be done there. And it, and you know, it's a, it's a big thing to tackle. And as you said, it, it's probably part of almost every conversation, both from a, from a conversational and content standpoint, but also from a programming standpoint. Um, it is. When you, when you look at innovation from IBM's perspective, do you think banks are going to stop looking for that next big thing and really embrace more the constant iterative innovation process that other industries have done forever? Yeah. Hey, um, I, uh, by the way, so that we, we, this is back to this notion of disruptive and sustaining innovation because I think they need to do both. And, and yeah. a good example, right? And Ren, by the way, our, our clients recognize that. And they're, and they're on to it. So if you think about, um, you know, this large language model, I mean, every aspect of banking is, is getting rethought in the context of um, AI, generative AI, large language models, right? So whether it be how, how we are back to those three dimensions of growth, risk, um, and, and, and cost, you know, everything to do with customer interaction and, 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 and empowering uh, agents, the, 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 the employees of banks to, to be more impactful uh, when interacting with the customer. They're on, around call, um, call handling, around, 
around making agents uh, smarter, um, around around um, everything that you're doing around cost and operations, right? So think about everything from how you handle complaints and how you dissect it to figure out what I need to do in my processes, everything from providing smarter credit, everything to do with um, looking at processes. And I'll give you one example, right? So, you know, for a client, we're looking at um, the KYC, know your customer and account opening processes. And if there are 23 steps in the process, 16 of those are now going to be infused with large language models, right? Yeah. Right. So it's, it's incrementally working your, uh, your, your way through it. Why? Because this, this, this capability when added to all the other capabilities we have enables a lot of cool things, you know, summarization in ways never possible before when you got large corpus of structured and unstructured data, uh, context-based search, not just search, but context-based search with an understanding of the context uh, and the language, content creation, and doing content creation without hallucination is an old, it's, it's a whole new ball game. And we'll talk about more how we are doing that in real client uh, um, uh, projects, code creation. And again, you got to constrain how you do that. Um, there is this whole area of what we call prompt engineering, P-R-O-M-P-T, prompt engineering, prompting these models to, to enable them to do the right thing. Uh, and then train of thought engineering. How do you train these large language models to think step by step? not make giant leaps and make mistakes? And how do you minimize hallucination uh, so that you constrain uh, the, the output it provides? Um, there's a lot of work happening here, real time with clients around the world and we're creating centers of excellence uh, for our clients to accelerate their learning. Um, very, very rich area. So back to your point about you know, one thing, I don't think it's gonna be one thing. Our clients are gonna do both sustaining innovation, looking at infusing every aspect of, of what they're doing uh, with exponential technology while also doing disruptive innovation. And a lot of the disruptive innovation I expect is gonna be around ecosystems and things that are touching the customer on the one hand. Yeah. You're gonna see powerful models and we're seeing these models emerge around the world. We're doing work uh, for a client in Latin America um, helping them, and there's one in India that's in the public domain. There are others around the world. Um, agri ecosystem, right? If you if you're if you're a small uh, farmer or a large farmer, yeah. um, you know beyond financial services, think about all the inputs that a farmer needs. Hey, you know what is my weather going to look like? You know when do I need to um, sow my crop? Uh, fertilizers at what point? Where is the cheapest way where I can get you know farm implements, tractors, and such? Um, you know, when do I sell my crop? Um, you know, where do I go and sell my crop? You know, you, imagine if a financial institution is able to bring all those capabilities together for the agri ecosystem. Yeah, I think I saw that in Turkey with Denise Bank. I think they uh, have brought together, as you said, different components, not just financial services, but everything from the meteorological to the the agricultural to the, you know, the rotation of the crops to the, the financing of equipment and to go outside of banking and we'll call it a big super app for agriculture, which is, is just, you know, it wasn't possible before, as you've mentioned. Jim, that's a that's an excellent uh, example. So a lot of the disruptive innovation in in financial services is going to happen as banks do 
the mirror image of what some of these other enterprises have been doing, where they've been backing into financial services, right? And trying to commoditize a lot of the financial services ecosystem by, by getting more and more into the financial services value chain by owning the customer relationship and the brand. Yep. Now, the good news of financial institutions is pretty much in every part of the world, banks and the larger ones are incredibly trusted, not just by the consumers and enterprises, but frankly, by the regulators and governments as well, right? And therefore, as they rethink their disruptive innovation and move into this beyond banking ecosystem model, you're going to see an amazing amount of similar examples, whether it be the agri ecosystem or whether it be how the mortgage ecosystem changes or or the auto finance and the car ecosystem. You can go on and on and on. Uh, there's a lot of innovation that we're going to see over the coming years uh, in that space, beyond, of course, managing risk and cost uh, in the in the growth area. And we do think that the, that the banking pyramid is going to get inverted. What do I mean by that? Because of all the complexity that we've talked about, today, about two-thirds of all the banking people process and technology and spend is in the middle and back office. Maybe about a third around customers and channels and ecosystems and partners. Tomorrow's model, that's going to get inverted, the inverted pyramid, where two-thirds of the focus is not going to be on run the bank, but change the bank and disrupt innovation and new ways of engaging with customers, new ecosystems, new value chains, new paradigm uh, for value creation for their customers uh, with the middle and back office um, using exponential technology and extreme digitization and automation and um, things like large language models and such to empower their employees to really be doing things that are customer value adding as opposed to processes that are required uh, to be done, but are not necessarily customer value adding. So finally, Shankar, when we look at everything you've just said, we look at the transformation of banking and banking services, and we're looking at the confluence of emerging business models, the proliferation of traditional, non-traditional competitors, the growth of technologies, the entrance of new tech companies doing a lot of the banking services. What does the future of banking look like from a perspective of comp competition and competitors? Who wins in this game? You know, who who are the who will come away with the lion's share of what we today view as banking, but are going to more and more likely to view in a much bigger sense? Is it is going to be the tech companies? Is it going to be the very large banks? Do community banks even have a place in this environment? Or is it the fintech firms? Or do they each have a role that will play into a, a bigger a bigger pie? Yeah, I mean, every everyone has a has a role here. But um, from 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 my vantage point, um, given the the clients that I work with, you know, my 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 view uh, is is sharper when it comes to uh, the financial institutions in terms of what they are doing and what they can do to win, right? Uh, because financial institutions. Um, are, can, will, and will be forced to rethink their business model and, and figure out how to add you know, incremental value to their customers, taking advantage of exponential technology and, and, and new business um, capabilities around platforms and ecosystems to drive value uh, for their customers. We're seeing that happen. There's, there's going to be a, 
uh, a, a lot more uh, of that. The good news is that while regulations in financial services are onerous, um, because you know, particularly when it comes to the larger financial institutions and even with the smaller ones in, in countries like the US, um, the regulators and the government tends to backstop um, the, the, the industry um, and, and therefore they put a lot of regulations on the industry. Now that's both a friend and a foe. Right. Right. A foe in that it creates complexity um, and, 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 and oversight. A friend in that it creates genuine barriers for non non-traditional competitors to to jump over um, uh, the barrier but it's not those barriers are not insurmountable they're getting breached um, so the question for financial institutions is going to be given all of this and given where the world is going um, given that cost and ratios have been sticky and and return on equity have in many instances not been achieving their cost of capital um, given all the uncertainty the global economy it's both an opportunity and a threat. And, and the question I'd have, this is the way I would kind of respond to your, to your, to your question. So when I talk with um, senior executives of banks, I really ask them three questions, right? Um, and, 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 and get them thinking about it and therefore what? The first question is, given all of this and everything we've talked about, is your strategy ambitious enough as you take a three to five year view? Do you believe you're executing fast enough? And do you have the people and capabilities to actually convert your vision into reality, right? And the answer to those three questions is going to determine whether a particular institution is going to win or it's going to tread water or whether it's going to fall behind, right? Is your strategy ambitious enough? Are you executing fast enough? Do you have the people and capabilities to execute and yeah. win? And those are the questions that ought to be top of mind, and they are for most of the clients we are working with. Boy, that, that is an amazing set of questions because when you get down to it, you know, in the research we've done, in the conversation we've had in the podcast, one thing becomes clear. There's no lack of understanding as to what's needed. There's no lack of understanding that payments modernization has to take place. There's no lack of understanding that technology has to be upgraded. There's no lack of understanding that people have to be taught and brought on quicker to be able to fill the needs that the technologies are providing. And there's no lack of understanding that competition's chomping at the heels of everybody in the industry. That said, to your questions, who's willing to do it? Who's willing to invest in it? Who's willing to push the needle and have a challenger mindset far enough in the future? And then who's going to actually do it? You know, we, there's a, as you've, through your industry, I'm sure, through your industry knowledge and your, your tenure, I'm sure you've seen this in the past. You know, you, you can bring a great solution to a financial institution, yeah. but if they don't implement it, you aren't going to see it happen. <laughs> you know, and, and again, we talk a good game sometimes. It's a matter of, to your point, who's willing to embrace change, take risks, and disrupt their organizations from what was the legacy format that they used before. Yeah. Hey, I'll, I'll kind of wrap up our discussion with a, with a vignette from a, from a discussion that I had with a client many, many moons ago, which is still crystal clear in my mind. Uh, I was a young rookie partner um, when, when I was doing this 
piece of transformation work for this um, uh, for this regional bank out in Australia. And I was telling this this grizzled veteran CEO how he's got to change everything. And these are the days in which I'm I'm, I'm helping them figure out how to move. You know, think about the days when you had to move transactions from branches into ATMs and call centers. I'm talking that era, right? So I know those years. Yep. <laughs> The CEO um, um, asked me to join him for dinner that evening, and he sits me down and he says, Shankar, one thing you should not forget in your enthusiasm, in banking, you should never confuse a clear view for a short distance. But I tell you, in today's world, the distance is genuinely getting shorter. And I can say that over two decades after my, my dinner with the CEO over 20 years ago as a young rookie partner. There you go. That that is a great point to leave us on because it really that is very true. Um, we we've got to go beyond the talking to doing, and you know we also I think have to look around. You know the we talk about the focus view, but what Money Twenty Twenty gives us is the opportunity to interact with banks from across the globe and to understand how others are viewing the exact same challenges and opportunities and what they're doing about it. You brought some great examples from India, from Singapore. I know some from China and from from Egypt. And and it's really interesting what's being done elsewhere. So while you have to narrow your view, you've got to keep your perspective broad as to what is possible in the industry. Shankar, I really appreciate the time with you. We are going to get together again and I appreciate you sharing your insights. Thank you very much, Jim. It was my pleasure. Thanks for listening to Banking Transform, the winner of three international awards for podcast excellence. If you enjoy what we're doing, please take 30 to 45 seconds to show some love in the form of a positive review. Finally, be sure to catch my recent articles on the financial brand and check out the research you're doing for the Digital Banking Report. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcast. A special thank you to our senior producer, Leah Hasledge, audio engineer, Sean Roe Hoffman, and video producer, Will Pritz. I'm your host, Jim Roos. Until next time, remember, the banking battlefield is evolving daily. Every banker must be prepared for the unexpected. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast.